Hey, it's Ross for The Great Updraft, and today we're going to look at the four quadrants, Ken Wilber's four quadrants, and how to apply them to our lives. And I think the power of applying them is that we really understand why this theory is powerful and how we can use it in our lives, our work, our relationships, our philosophy for life, and so on. And as we do this, I want you to remember a key principle, and that is that Four quadrant balance is a requirement for healthy th functioning. And that's true on many different levels, but keep it in mind on a personal level for now. And then you can maybe start applying it to more broader things. Last week I did a, a, a video on the four quadrants. So do check that out if you want more details, but a quick summary here, the four quadrants mean the four quadrants of a circle and what they represent is four fundamental domains of life so the left hand quadrants the left side of the circle they're interior they're subjective they're intangible whereas the right hand quadrants and we're going to be talking left and right quite a lot in this video these are exterior they're objective they're tangible and then if you look at the top two these are individual quadrants and they're focusing on phenomena phenomena in their individual appearance and the bottom two are collective so if we multiply those we've got um individual interior individual exterior we've got the collective interior and the collective exterior and just to simplify this what each of these four quadrants means the top left quadrant is our subjective inner life. Our bottom left quadrant is our interpersonal cultural life. The top right quadrant is objective and scientific. It's behavioral. It's about the exterior of individuals. And the bottom right is societal, it's social, it's political, it's shared objective reality. So if we look at the four quadrants in say personal well-being just in and we're going to look a lot of this is just going to be left hand right hand so individual and collective and how that relates to personal well-being first of all well for example if we look at our desires if we subordinate our desires too much to the collective if we forget about our our unique desires as an individual and we just we just adopt those of the collective where we shape our desires around the collective completely. We can start to feel stifled and invisible and there's no self-expression there. We start to feel dead inside. On the other hand, if we forget about the collective, which is something that we really can't do, but that's a deeper point, uh, our desires become can become egotistical and overbearing. They can also just become unrealistic because we're not we're not <laughs> sort of calibrating our desires with what's actually possible in the world and what the world needs and they can just become damaging as well we can become we can feel alienated and disconnected if our desires don't match up with what's going on around us and actually this is a common critique of the modern world you know it's it's like our desires are very individual focused. There's not enough desires for the collective. There's no desire to come together in community. There's no 
sense of like a tribe or a getting together around a shared cause, a shared belief system, um, that that's been lost in the modern world. And I think that's a fair, that's a fair critique. And when you look at the four quadrants, it helps you see why, because our desires are really quite individually focused. And as I said, that brings an imbalance, which leads to some sort of unhealthy functioning within us. And it's this sense of modern alienation. Just as a little exercise, you might, you might ask how your desires line up with those of the people around you. So if there's a big mismatch in that your desires and the people around you, their desires are so mismatched, what you'll feel is a sort of disconnection from those people. Because it's almost like you're seeing a different world and your desires are based on different worlds. And just seeing the individual and the just seeing the, the interior and the exterior there, it helps you see why that's happening. Another thing about personal well-being is where our attention is. Um, let me give you an example of this. For example, if we're so if we're really absorbed in learning about the collective or the lower right, for example, politics, um, society, the latest news and so on, or that could be the lower left as well. If we are so, if we're obsessed with the news and learning about what's going on in the world, we can forget about our own life. We, um, we just become, all we do is think about what's happening elsewhere and we don't really look at our life and what we want to change about that. We just spend our time fretting about what other people are doing. Our attention is too focused on the exteriors. However, there's also the, the fact of if we're too focused on ourselves and our own individual achievement, for example, we might forget about relationships, the lower left. We forget about interacting with other people. We just become self-absorbed and we start, you know, we work 16 hours a day and we become a hermit and we just forget about connecting with other people and the fact that that, that there's a great joy in connecting with other people and that there's, it gives us something that individual achievement can't give us. And you can see that imbalance there too much, too much of an individual focus, not enough of a collective participation and in interaction with other people. We also might get so obsessed with our objective self, you know, the self that other people see that might be the the lower, the upper right, our upper right, our behavior, our external appearance, we might become so obsessed with that aspect of our individuality that we're really out of touch with our authentic desires. You know, maybe we don't want to wear the latest brands. Maybe we actually don't want to do this job. Maybe we're, we're not really bothered about our, maybe we're not so bothered about um, becoming rich and having a certain social status and whatnot, but are we've forgotten about our authentic desires and we actually don't know what they are. And all they've become is presenting an, presenting an image to the world, to other people in the objective world. And yeah, if you feel this lack of authenticity, try and look at it in terms of the quadrants, in terms of 
I'm really not listening to myself enough. I'm too focused on the collective. I'm too focused on collective values, on the, on the image that other people want to see of me rather than what I actually want for my own life. And you'll feel this imbalance. As I said, there's always unhealthy functioning when there's an imbalance in the quadrants, not just on an individual level, but that's what we're talking about here. Our actions, staying on the theme of personal well-being, our actions, as individuals, we're not reducible to the collective, but we also can't be separated from the collective. We're intertwined with the collective. At the same time, we're not, we're not reducible to an individual, but we're also highly unique at the same time. And to me, and we're going to talk about this more when we talk about the stages of development later on in the talk, is that really the more developed we become, the more we try to fit into the collective like a walking key. It's not like we're trying to overimpose ourselves on the world or that we're trying to um, subordinate ourselves to the world too much. It's more like a healthy balance between the two and we live more functionally as a result. We might think about how we're making a living, how it is that we feed ourselves. What are our motivations in life? Are our motivations just to accumulate and achieve? Are our motivations to bring our skills into the world, to improve things, to find new solutions, to help other people with their well-being, for example? And I would say the more we grow as individuals, the more we desire to serve others. It's not, and it's not an imbalanced service in that we're just, we forget about ourselves, which can happen. It's more like, it's a more realistic service where we say, here are my skills. Here's what the world needs. How can I fit in in that way? How can my individuality fit into the collective in a way that serves both of us and not just one or the other. Great. Final area in personal well-being is values. So we, we often think of values as an individual choice. Um, like, oh, you have, your values are really, you know, really include, you're a really inclusive person or, um, I really admire your values or, he doesn't have the right values or, or whatever it is. Really, we're actually much more a product product of our generation, of our country and of our circumstances than we we notice and that often we, we like to admit. For example, if you look at, say, racial tolerance, a huge factor behind racial tolerance and our level of tolerance in adulthood for other races is the level of security that we felt in our childhood which really depends on social factors beyond our control that, you know, we couldn't control, for example, how much nutritious food was available to us as children, the, the neighborhood we grew up in, the, if we experienced war or not, was our poverty in our family, was our family in debt, you know, the, did we struggle to, to make ends meet? And when I look at my family, my parents and grandparents had it much rougher than I did uh, in their youth and really throughout their whole life. Um, and you can see that in our values. Like I would say as the generations have gone on, we've become a more inclusive family, not that my grandparents are terribly racist or anything, but 
you know, there's elements there and you can see that you can see that you're much more that the, I can see that I'm much more a product of my upbringing, my education, my exposure to the world of the 20, the late 20, the late 20th and the, the early 21st century, then I usually realize, and it's sort of under the hood. The point being that just on a level of understanding yourself is to see, you know, what's the zeitgeist that you're living in? What, what, what have you taken for granted your whole life? And now it sort of impedes you from understanding other people and it, it impedes you from understanding yourself really, because you don't really understand, say the origin of your values. You could say the same about desires as well, you know, being born in, or, you know, growing up in the late 20th century, for example, you're likely to have more say materialistic values than, um, previous generations. So, I mean, that's just a little thing. That's just a little sample of what we could look at in personal well-being. The overall idea, idea is that we can understand ourselves from both the individual and the collective point of view, and we can understand our well-being from that. And we can see that if there's any imbalances in us, we might do well to look and see if there's an imbalance between our focus on our individual life and our focus on our collective aspects and see um, if we can reach a better balance in those areas. Okay, moving on to education, because I think this is a really key area to apply the four quadrants. Um, having started to do meditation classes in my local area, I've been meditating now for several years and I feel like now was the time to start doing meditation classes in my local area. I'm usually teaching people that are older than I am because I'm still in my, my twenties and it is sort of, it's like the lack of emotional vocabulary that people have. And this isn't, I'm not judging them. I'm more judging, well, the system, we'll get to that in a minute. It's like the lack of emotional vocabulary, the, the lack of contact with our inner life. It's quite shocking. And it's made me realize that, you know, why are we not taught meditation? For example, there's other, obviously other techniques, you know, emotional intelligence and I don't know, even doing some <laughs> psychotherapy on ourselves. We're not taught this stuff in school and this should be mandatory. Um, so to help further critique that, I'm just going to look at a little quadrant analysis of mainstream education in modern countries. Basically, if, you know, if, if I was to do a quick summary of the quadrants in education, or especially if I think about my education in, you know, late in the 21st century in the UK, basically what I can see is that we learn a lot about the exteriors. And um, so we learn a lot, you know, um, history, maths, science, uh, the brain, atoms, molecules, chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. We're learning information about objective human life and objective forms of knowledge so that we can have a set successful exterior so that we can earn money so that we can have a certain career. We can have a certain social status. We can go to university and so on. Everything is about objective reality and 
us presenting an image in that objective reality. And well, this is there's many problems with this, but one of the issues is that since we value um, STEM subjects so highly, we unknowingly put knowledge of the exteriors on a pedestal. You know, we're, we're brainwashed with the materialistic paradigm, which basically says that atoms, molecules, compounds, and chemicals are the, the basis, the substrate for reality. It's also in the way we learn. The way we learn is very disconnected from the interiors. Like we spend our time memorizing information to get good grades, to go for certain professions. It's not, it's not really to develop as a person. It's not to understand ourselves better. It's not to promote a life of growth and mm, self-improvement. It's really a, a life of having the externals in our life fixed with no little, very little attention paid to the, uh, the need for interior knowledge, the need for a strong interior world. Now, I'm not saying that we should throw all this out, that we're not going to learn about science and maths and history. and We're not going to think about future professions that our studies might um, take us to and that we're going to forget about um, getting great, good grades and so on. I think that needs to be included somehow, but I just think that all this knowledge and achievement should only be a part of what we learn. And I say this, I, I, I don't say this to boast. I say this so that you can see this in context. I have almost a perfect academic record. Um, but I, I look back and I can see how limited my education was, even though, in, you know, for, you know, if, if you offered that kind of education to African children or to other children from other third world countries or where education isn't free and mandatory, they would, you know, uh, they would be extremely grateful for it. And I am grateful. It's just pointing out the, the insufficiencies there. Long story short, I just think we need a bigger emphasis on the interiors, not only in what we learn, but in how we learn. And I just think it's, it's no wonder that many adults are in the modern world are struggling to find meaning and they're struggling to connect with other people. They, they, don't, they don't see that their life has any purpose and they end up depressed and addicted into their 40s and 50s, which by from my perspective, having done a lot of work on myself, I've almost ridded myself of, you know, the, the gross addictions that we have. Um, and I'm only young and I can see that in my forties and fifties, I can see myself being even, even cleaner than I am now. Why am I saying this? Because when you learn about the interiors, you, you learn that really <laughs> happiness is not always, not fully, if we think of the quadrants, this isn't absolutely true, but happiness is comes from within. It doesn't come from addictions and buying stuff and from having social status and whatnot. A lot of it comes from within having a strong interior life. And we're simply not taught about that when we spend a lot of time learning the things that we're never going to use. 
Great. Next area I'd like to cover are, are the stages of development. So if you want to know a bit more about the stages of development, I would suggest you go and read the article on the altitudes of development that is that you'll find in the description. But and I don't want to go into really much detail of the stages of development here, but just look at them through the lens of the four quadrants. If you look, this is just one way of dividing up the stages of development is in terms of self orientation and other orientation. In other words, in half or in every other level, the individual takes precedence for us. So our focus is on ourselves. In the other stages, it's on the collective. It's on it's sort of more about molding our desires to the collective. And what we can see is that each self-oriented self stage is less self-oriented than the previous one. And the same goes with the collective-oriented stages. So it's like we swing back and forward, but the swinging decreases with each stage that we go up through. So basically, each stage of development is quadrant biased, especially the first tier stages, especially the first six major stages of human development. And basically, at these stages, we're incapable of seeing the wholeness of the quadrants. And what happens is, even if we're, we've moved beyond these stages in our functioning, mainly moved beyond them, the stages are still alive within us for good and for bad. And that quadrant bias stays on within us. So to get you a better idea of what I mean here, let's look at the predominant worldviews of each stage and analyze it using the, the quadrants. So we're going to start at red. At red, the world is a full of predators. And we think that we're going to overcome them all through anger and domination. Very self-oriented. It's about me overcoming the world. We move into blue, where the world becomes a battle between good and evil, and I'm going to do my damnest to be good. It's very other-oriented, where we're subverting our desires to the, the collective, to what's expected of us, to what the world deems to be good and bad. In orange, we see the world as a marketplace. It's like a battle for prosperity. It's a world full of competitions and opportunities, and I'm going to be a winner. It's self-oriented. At green, which is the final first tier stage, we see the world to be like an evil, unfair place that's rigged by modernity, capitalism, and elites. And we want to fight for peace and equality. So <laughs> mainly other-oriented, but you can see that it's it's less other-oriented than, than blue is. Into the second tier, where things get really interesting, we're going to quote, look at some quotes here in a minute. At yellow, we see that the world is actually a kaleidoscope of all the previous levels, and I'm both creator and created. So we can see both how the collective influences us and also how we influence the collective and how that we have a certain freedom in a way we have a certain freedom from the collective or we can impose ourselves on at turquoise we see that the world is a complex unknowable unity and i surrender to it so again it's 
it's other orientated, but it's it's not as other orientated as green is. So first thing to notice is that each level becomes progressively bigger and more more truly human, you might say, so long as we integrate the previous levels. And you see that in each, especially red, blue, orange, and green, there's a huge quadrant bias. You know, we either we either really want to impose ourselves on the world or we really want to subordinate ourselves to the world. And that this quadrant bias actually weakens as we develop. And just to get you a better idea of this, let's look at Claire Graves, who was one of the original um, researchers of these stages of development. Let's look at his descriptions of stage L. Claire Graves says, quote, express self for what self desires, but never at the expense of others, and in a way that all life, not just my life, will profit. This is him describing stage L. He also says, quote, the seventh level of human behaviour is actually the beginning of human life all over again on a new and different basis. He also says, quote, he casts aside, this is yellow, yellow casts aside the need to depend and seeks instead to be and let be, to be not dependent, not independent, but interdependent. So you can see at yellow in second tier that, you know, this isn't going to be perfect, but this is the sort of, this is what Graves found, is that there's not, we're not excessively self-oriented, but we're not excessively other-oriented. There's like an adjustment. There's like a, a lock and key here. We fit in to the collective like a lock, like a lock and key. And yeah, seeing these stages of development in yourself and seeing how uh, each is fundamentally quadrant biased in a certain way just really shines a light on, you know, the the traps involved, some of the, you know, the imbalances in your life, I just think it really lights things up and it helps you see these stages in a way that you maybe haven't seen them before. Great. So to learn more about applying the four quadrants, do check out my article on the four quadrants. There's a link in the description. In that article, we also look at their application in medicine and psychology um, on top of what we've done here. So you can also come over to my website for tons of free articles and premium personal development courses. Thanks for joining me.